We're going through a topical series this time on our core values. Core values are sort of like a dashboard on a car. When you get in the car, behind the dashboard, you see different gauges of what's going on in the vehicle. The, uh, the church is similar in that we should have a dashboard with different gauges so we can see how we're doing as a people, how we're doing as a church. So there's certain things we need to, to value, and there's certain things we need to keep track of how we're doing with. Okay, so we have gospel saturation as a core value. Are we really worshiping Jesus with all we got personally and corporately? We got gospel authenticity. That's a core value for us. We want to be a people who are real and not fake. But since Jesus has already exposed that we are sinners in need, we can come to church and admit we're sinners in need. Gospel generosity is what we're talking about today. We also have gospel service, gospel mission as a core value um, as, as well. But today we're hitting that gospel generosity as the gauge. We're seeing how are we doing as a people? Are we being generous? Are we responding to the gospel with generosity? In fact, that's how we define this core value for us. Um, let me read it to you. But this is what we have written down uh, as we think through our core values and want to define them. For gospel generosity, what we've said is that we want to be a people who freely give of our time, talents, and treasures to Jesus and his people in response to what Jesus has given us. So if you want to turn there, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 will be a couple verses we look at. However, we're going to go all over the Bible this morning. It's going to be more of a topical thing, uh, and I'll give you some references you can jot down. But if you want to look at one of the verses we're going to hit, it'll be 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. And we'll be talking about this idea of gospel generosity and how we're doing with it. And we do need to check up on this because it's easy to assume we're generous, when maybe we're not. Generosity is not always as easy as it sounds. I remember when I was 16, I got my first job, and uh, I worked at a restaurant. It was one of the best jobs I ever had. I'd honestly, like, I, I'd work there today. It was so fun. I loved working there. It was this little restaurant that just served burgers, fries, and milkshakes, and I was designated as the milkshake maker. Now, in Indiana at that time, where I'm from, uh, you couldn't work more than a certain number of hours a week if you were still in school. I was 16, I was in school, uh, and so I was only supposed to work, I think it was like 18 hours a week, but I broke that law, uh, and I confessed my sin, and I worked like 40 hours a week. And my boss didn't say anything, the government didn't say anything, and I got a paycheck. So I was like, this is great, let's break the rules and go spend this money. And so I'm working 40 hours plus a week while I'm in high school, and basically, the whole time, I'm making milkshakes for a living. Uh, and I did this for about six months to a year. And when I was 17, uh, there was a local magazine in Indiana called Indianapolis Monthly. And Indianapolis Monthly came by the store, and they said, we're doing awards this month in our magazine. And here's the deal. You guys won the award for best milkshake in Indianapolis. And now here I am, 17, for the last year, I've been making milkshakes at this place 40 hours a week. So I'm not kidding. I went to college to get new jobs and everything. I put on my resume, best milkshake maker in Indianapolis, because I just did the math, right? They said we got the best milkshake. I'm the one making the milkshakes, because I'm the best milkshake maker. And I'm not kidding, that, I think that might still be on my resume. I haven't had to give that out in a while. Thank you, congregants. But, you know, it, you look at that and you think, well, that's kind of funny, kind of cool, but it's really not that hard, right? It's not, you, you just ice cream, milk, blend it, no big deal. But actually, believe it or not, this was actually a really tough job. It was a tough job. Part of the reason was, is because I was there when the restaurant started. And when the restaurant started, it was owned by a really great businessman, but a guy that didn't know anything about food service. And we never set the temperature of the freezer right. So it's supposed to be cold, but we set this thing at like sub-zero, like be in there for more than a minute and you're going to die cold, right? This is like Polar Express, ice caps. This was uh, Antarctica cold. So whenever I would get the ice 
cream out of the freezer and go to dip the ice cream into those little silver cups to make the milkshake, I was like in an Ironman competition trying just to get, I mean, I would seriously, I mean, I, I'd, be, uh, I'd be digging down as far as I could with that ice cream scoop, as hard as I could, with all my might, with all my weight, which when I was 16 was significantly less, I will admit, right? All 50 pounds of me. And my, I, I wore skinny jeans just because I was super skinny and had to buy really tiny jeans. But anyway, so, I mean, I'm pushing down as hard as I could. To, and I, I'd come up with, like, just barely half a scoop of ice cream. I'm talking this, I mean, by the end of my season at this restaurant, this arm was about 30 times stronger than this arm. I mean, that's how this happens right here. You see this? This doesn't happen overnight, kids, right? This takes... Years of apathy. So the idea is, I'm, I mean, it was actually a pretty tough job. And they actually put me on that because the other teenagers were whining about it and couldn't handle it, too much pressure, because you got to make the milkshake in a certain amount of time. And I know I'm going too long on this ridiculous illustration. Here's my point. My point is, is that generosity is one of those things that sounds good, easy, warm, fuzzy, obvious. Generosity is actually behind the scenes, nitty gritty, difficult, hard, much more painful typically than it sounds like it is. Typically, generosity is not going to flow, it's going against the grain. Most of the time, true generosity isn't self serving, it's self sacrificing. Many times, generosity, as warm and fuzzy as it makes us feel when we hear other stories, Sometimes we feel emptied after generosity. Make no mistake, sometimes true generosity doesn't feel great to the flesh, though it feels great to the spirit. Sometimes generosity is painful, not just filled with pleasure. It is hard to be generous. So that's why we have to take a week and look at this gauge and say, how are we doing as a people with generosity? Because it's not as easy as it sounds, and it's likely many times, if you're anything like me, and I'll be the first to confess my sin, we give ourselves much more credit in this area than is actually due, me included. So I want to talk about this generosity idea, gospel generosity. And I want to ask just a couple of questions this morning, like this. Let's ask this question. Why should we be generous? Why should we be generous? Well, what we're saying today, what we're saying this morning, is that generosity is a proper response, the appropriate response to the gospel. That's what we're trying to say. That's why we're not just saying that our core value is generosity. There's even non-Christians who can be something like generous. We're talking about a different level. We're talking about a different essence, a different kind of generosity, and that we're talking about gospel generosity. We're saying that we're, what we're talking about is a generosity that is a response to the cross, to the resurrection, to the ascension, to the life, to the work of Jesus, to the good news. It's a response to the good news. You see, if you're here and you've received Jesus, you have received the most generous gift ever given by the most generous giver to ever live. If you're here and you have Christ, you have been given too. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter number five, he uh, gave us eternal life. Jesus at the Last Supper says he was giving his life a ransom for many. Right? This is the idea that nobody's more generous than Jesus. And if you've received Jesus, you've received infinite generosity. This stirs us, does it not? This, this, this melts the heart of uh, ice. This makes flesh the heart of stone. We have been given so much in just having a relationship with Jesus. Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us eternal life. He gives us a home in heaven. He's given us the church. He's given us one another. Nobody more generous than Jesus. Why are we generous? Well, we should be generous because we follow Jesus. There is a way to be generous without Jesus. It's a, it's a, it's a worldly sorrow that leads to wanting to clean your conscience and make yourself 
feel like you've done something great, right? It's a fleshly generosity. It is possible to look like and to feel like and to even act generous without Jesus, but it is not possible to follow Jesus and not be generous. That's not a category. If you're following Jesus, the most generous person to ever exist, live, far bar none, you will be generous like he was. Being generous is part of following Jesus, and in some cases, sometimes, being generous is following Jesus. Nobody is more generous than Jesus. Now, I'm a huge fan of the Salvation Army, but Jesus was like a walking, talking, breathing Salvation Army. I'm a fan of the Red Cross, but Jesus went to the Red cross. I'm a fan of United Way. I'm a fan of all aspects of giving to the poor. However, right, nobody's more generous than Jesus. He lived what others do. He gave what others could not give. He was the feeder, the healer, the teacher. His time, his talent, his treasure was shared with this world. He gave it all. That's all to him we owe. If we love Jesus, follow Jesus, we will be generous. It is our response to the generosity given to us in the gospel. Jesus himself said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse number 8. He said, freely you have received, freely give. Jesus is telling this to his disciples as they go out to the town surrounding Galilee to give the gospel. He's saying, you got it for free, so give freely. This continues through the New Testament, Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to, an- one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, be generous with your forgiveness, as Christ Jesus hath forgiven you. The Bible tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, after 11 chapters of explaining the glorious good news, therefore, right, after he's telling us all the good news, all the things we've been given in Christ, therefore, give your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is our response to the gospel, is being a person of generosity. Why generosity? Generosity is how God works in the world. This is how God is at work. He uses our giving of all things, whatever we have, right, to redeem the world. And by the way, one cool point about this is that this happens regardless of the size of the gift. You might remember the little boy who gave his lunch to Jesus, five loaves, two fishes. It's a classic story. We tell it all the time, particularly in kids' ministry. It's not just for kids. It's for all of us. He gave one lunch, and Jesus was able to take it and to the masses. No matter how small the gift, this is how God works in the world. He works through his generous saints to meet the needs, physical and spiritual, of people who are lost and without Christ matter what the gift is. It matters about the size of God, which is infinite. A funny illustration for this that I heard recent, pretty recently in the news. Um, funny story. There's a lady went into a convenience store. You know, she grabs a couple things like Mountain Dew, some chips, whatever, and she gets a lotto ticket. It was just a $1 lotto ticket, and she always got those, but she never won. And she's heading out to the car, and a homeless guy, a beggar, comes up and starts bothering her for a dollar. She doesn't have a dollar. So to get him off her back, she hands him the lotto ticket, thinking these things don't work anyway. And they're only a dollar, so I'm really not out anything. And she drives off. And later that night, she's watching the news. Turns out this homeless guy scratched off that lotto ticket, and it was a winner for over $200,000. Now, we're not advocating you go play the lotto and then give it to other people. Though if you do win, I'll give you my number, right? But it's this idea that, look, look, look. She gave away something she thought was totally insignificant. And this dude's on the news buying a house in front of everybody. She spent the next two years suing this guy for the ticket back. (laughs) Suing the formerly homeless man, right? (laughs) Think about that greed, right? Now, here's the idea. As silly as that illustration is, it's actually, there's some biblical ties here, not to playing the lotto, but to this idea that the gift size isn't the issue. It's what God can do with the gift. That's the issue. What God does when we give, no matter how 
we give, whether it's giving of ourselves, giving of our listening ear, giving of our uh, home to someone who needs a place to be, uh, giving of our car to a single mom who could use one for the week, whatever it might be, this is how God meets needs, is through His church being a generous people. And it doesn't matter the size of the gift, it matters the size of God. He uses it to redeem the world. He uses it to help to bless and hopefully for people to hear the gospel and get saved. Remember the widow with her might. Like TC was talking about when he gave, uh, took up the offering. Um, she gives the lowest amount possible to give. It was the lowest amount you could have in a coin. She goes into that temple, and I could just see this, right? You see this little, late, she's got the cane, and she's walking frail. And there's all these Pharisees in those goofy robes. Right? Like you got these long rows, the hats. Religious people love hats. Have you ever noticed that? Right? Just the bigger the hat, the more important you are. Like that's just hilarious to me. Like I'm just, like I'm glad our denomination isn't into that, the robes and the hats. More power to them, I guess. But uh, you don't want to see me in a robe. Just trust me on this. So the idea is they're in their robes and their hats. They're going down gold. Right? These are supposed to be the servants of God. They're throwing down gold in front of everybody Jesus says to be seen of men clanging it in that plate, making sure it clangs, man. Like, hey, do you hear that? It was like, that's like five pieces of gold. You guys hear that? Here's another one. Check me out. And this widow comes in, shamefaced, just not wanting to see anyone, not anyone seeing her, loves the Lord her God, gives of her might. Jesus says she gave the most. Did she give the most? No. They gave the most. What is he saying? What does he say? You can figure this out. That we part. He gave it all. With that heart giving it all, God can use it for all he wants to do. God can do more with a might than we can with a million. God can do, it doesn't matter the size of our gifts or gifting. When we are a generous people, God redeems the world through us. Generosity is a blessing. Why be a generous person? Why be a generous church? Because generosity is a blessing. It's a blessing to be generous. Now, this is easy to preach, and I could go on for an hour. Speaking of which, I should probably get my timer up here so I don't go too long. Right? This is an easy one to harp on. Oh, good. I got plenty of time. Settle in, boys. There we go. Uh, I got, listen, uh, this is an easy one, right? But here's the myth. You guys know it. Our church, by God's grace, has stayed away from it overall, overarchingly. We, we fight false doctrine, false teaching. Here's the myth, right? You give... To God to get a blessing from God. That's the myth. Does that happen sometimes for some folks? There, there are testimonies of that. Praise the Lord if he wants to do it that way. That's really not, though, the normative experience. That's not something we should preach. Give to get. Give to get a blessing. That is absolutely not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is giving is the blessing. You understand this? Giving is the blessing. It's not that your stuff will prosper if you're generous. It's that your soul will prosper if you're generous. The passage for this I love is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. You guys can see it right here. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7 says this, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly, shall reap sparingly. He which soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. And what, are we talk, what realm are we talking about here? Physical, external, or internal, spiritual? Well, verse 7 tips us off. He says, Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Do you understand? Cheerful giver is an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense to the world. A happy loser, one that is gaining by releasing, one who is full of laughter while letting go of their material things. This is a divinely, uniquely Christian idea that the soul prospers the looser we hold our stuff. This is the idea that we are blessed as we lose for the sake of another. We are built as we sacrifice for the good of another. We are cheerful givers as Christians. The blessing 
is the contentment that is within the soul of the generous person. Now, here's something just to note, okay? You might find many times, and I have found this to be my experience, that many times those who are generous often tend to do better with things and stuff and money, okay? Why? Is it because God miraculously gives them more? Perhaps that has happened in God's goodwill and timing, sure. But here's what really, truly is going on according to the Bible. This is what we know for sure, okay? Those who give, okay, tend to see needs better. Thus, when they see the needs of others better, they tend to see their needs met better. In other words, A, I'm giving to a single mom who doesn't have a job. Now I can see my job is actually a blessing. Hey, I'm, I'm, giving, uh, I'm letting this lady stay in the house this, this week because she didn't have a place to go while she was traveling. Hey, I'm now seeing that my house is a blessing, that I, I am giving of my time to volunteer at this nonprofit on Tuesday nights because these people need someone to serve them food. I now see my food is a blessing. And what happens is they become more content as they give. And when they become more content, they are better students of what they have, managers of what they have. They are better at the, they, they, are, they become less wasteful and less desirous of more, more, more all the time, more content, and thus they are cheerful, though they are givers. They are blessed, though there are things they are taking away. This is the idea. Why do we become people? Because generosity is so good for the soul. Like we said, it's not always easy. Sometimes it is painful and difficult and depleting. But overarching, this becomes our lifestyle. We become more content and we become cheerful. It is a blessing to give. Generosity is the antidote to materialism. We suffer from materialism. Materialism is a false religion. It's the worship of stuff. And it's a bore. It's a bother. It is absolutely redundant. It hollows out the soul. It's when we prioritize stuff, when we give our time to stuff, our affection to stuff. Typically, it gets so bad, and some of us were here and we don't even know it, where we start to prize stuff over souls. I mean, God have mercy. We tend to prize things over those who are lost, things over the missionaries, things over those who don't know Jesus, things over those who have no hope, over the church. And here's the thing, is it ends up, in complete and total devastation and loneliness because as much stuff as you prioritize over people, stuff cannot hug you back. Stuff cannot show up at your birthday. Stuff cannot be in the hospital when you find out you have cancer. Stuff is not going to attend your wedding and stuff is not going to give a testimony at your funeral. And materialism hollows out the soul. It destroys lives. Listen, we are not to have idols. Amen? Throw your idols in the fire. Quit using all that God has given you on idols. Curse your idols. Forbid them from entering your heart, mind, and soul. Give them up. How? By becoming generous. Generosity is this antidote, this beautiful medicine for the materialistic heart. And I know that we want to be generous at this church. By God's grace, I think we're doing very well. I think you are a generous people. By God's grace, we're trying to be a generous church. So how do we continue on this path? How do we become generous? How do we continue in generosity? How does one go from materialistic to generous? How does one go from stingy to generous? How do we become generous? 
This is the second question I want to ask this morning. How do we become generous? Now, interestingly, this is not a physical question. This is a mental question, isn't it? It's not an external question. It's an internal question. Because we're not really asking how to be generous in the sense that, okay, I have an extra twin mattress in my house. I just met someone who can't afford a mattress in their house. So we're not asking, how do I get the twin mattress from house A to house B? We're not asking how we rent a U-Haul and drag it down the road. That's not what we're at. When we say, how do we become a generous people? We're actually not asking how to actually open our hands up. What we're asking is how do we start to become people? How do we continue to become people who would even take the time to know if someone has a need? And then if we know it, to care about it and give a shot at filling such a need. How do we become people who are not self-focused, others-focused? How do we become a people who are not give me, but sharing? How do we become people who are not materialistic, but generous? This is really about the heart, because all of this comes down to a shift in our thinking. And it's this very crucial shift for every Christian. Every Christian, to become a generous person... You must shift your thinking. You must go from being entitled to being blessed. You must go from thinking you are entitled to thinking and knowing you are blessed. And this is possible no matter how much you make, no matter what size your home is, no matter what your car looks like or doesn't look like, no matter what you got, you can make this shift in thinking from entitled to blessed. Entitled is this idea that I deserve what I have, I should keep it. Blessed is I don't deserve what I have, I should share it. We have to shift from entitled to blessed. How we make that shift? Well, let's start with this. We have to understand not everything, I'll say it this way, nothing is actually ours. Let me give you this verse, Psalm 24.1. This will settle it for us. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's. Right? Not mine. Right? Not yours. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything in it. The world and they that dwell therein. Psalm 24, 1. Everything in our house is God's. That TV is God's TV. Your phone in your pocket is God's phone. The car we come and leave in at church, that's God's car. This is God's building. We are, we are God's. Very interesting. Not only is everything God's, you are God's. The Bible says this in Psalm uh, 100, right? Uh, it says, it is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? which ye have of God, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Not even you are your own. These arms, they're God's. This mind is God's, right? I know we've earned some things in a worldly sense. And I'm all about the free market, working hard, earning money. But at the end of the day, God gave us the life we have. God gave us the brain we have. He gave us the heartbeat and the lungs we have. At the end of the day, it really is all God's and not ours. It belongs to Him. We have to realize nothing's really ours to give away or to take. Additionally, we have to recognize that God doesn't owe us anything. You guys know these verses, and you start to see how entitlement is so flawed. That attitude is so wretched. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. So what does a person really deserve from God? I didn't say what does a person deserve from another person. What is a, I'm not asking what a person deserves from a government. I'm not asking what a person deserves from the church. I'm asking, what does a person deserve from God? 
wrath, right? You've come short of the glory of God. You have spurned the glory of God. You have picked the serpent over the creator. You have picked Barabbas over Jesus. So did I before I was 17 and got saved. When I met him at that Christian camp, I'm just telling you, listen, we, we don't deserve, like we don't deserve anything from God, but justice, which will not go well for us in the end. That's what we deserve from God. Like that's what you earned. And I'm not even, I know this sounds crazy, doesn't it? I remember I was preaching at camp for the kids, uh, junior high camp. So for some reason, I've always, I, I don't know why, the Lord has just worked it out this way. I don't know if it's punishment for everything I've ever done or what, but I'm always preaching to some group of junior high or somewhere. I do, I get asked, I just got asked the other day, Christian school up in Virginia. Oh, preach, pre, you know, preach to our junior hires. I'm always preaching junior hires. I remember preaching at camp, junior hire uh, camp, 150 junior hires. And I'm just kidding. It's not a punishment. Obviously, Jesus took a punishment for our sins. A, B, I actually really like preaching to junior hires. They laugh at my jokes. I tell them all the time. I'm like, boring, man. They don't get My humor must be on like a fifth grade level. Because anyway, so I'm, I'm talking to the junior hires. Now, the junior high, this is, this overall is an affluent group of junior hires. I know a little bit about where they're from. I know a little bit about their background, okay? So I'm not just saying this to this random dude off the street, okay? I know a lot about, these are Christian school kids, many of them, privileged kids. These are grown up with a lot of stuff, okay? I know that about these kids, okay? So they get up, they go to breakfast before chapel, they have cinnamon rolls. And camp has totally changed, man. When I was a kid, you go to Christian camp, you get up, you're getting, you know what it is, you can't recognize it. Some sort of oatmeal blended with grit and whatever we had left from supper right camp food has really changed right so they go they're getting cinnamon rolls i'm in there i had like three of them then we go to chapel right and i get up there and i'm preaching my guts out to these 350 junior hires i mean i'm just trying my best to probably just praying for conviction and repentance and salvation in these junior hires and i'm up there and i'm just rolling with it and they're all tired because they've been playing games all week going to bed late and they just had a dozen cinnamon rolls a piece and they're sitting there, and they're, I don't really feel like they're listening to me about how good salvation is and that they need to come to the cross and all this stuff. And so I'm, like, going into it. And finally, I, don't, I guess I just, I went in my notes, went in my outline. I just said, you guys woke up today and had cinnamon rolls. Do you deserve cinnamon rolls? No. You deserve hell. I said that. Now, they... They all were like waking up. They're like, is he talking to us? The counselors were dying laughing. They're like, that's just the weirdest. I mean, they all put it on Twitter. Like Mitch, evangelist Mitch Miller, right? Like, you don't deserve that cinnamon rule. You deserve to go to hell. And the next year when I came back, they told me that they had considered making it a t-shirt to sell in their gift shop. You don't deserve that cinnamon roll. And they were gonna give it out on the cinnamon roll day. Now here's the deal, what I said in that moment was kind of crazy, in the sense that that's probably not the most helpful way to articulate some things, okay? That's, I mean, though I do think they'll remember it. Um, but here's crazy, I know this, oh, I'm just gonna hear me out, okay? What I said was a little weird. But it was accurate. Amen? I, I mean, I don't love talking about this. I love the Bible. I love Jesus. I believe it all. It's not my favorite topic. Okay? But if I'm going to be true to the Scriptures, you deserve hell for your sin. However, God loves you even though you're a sinner. And He did everything everything to rescue you from such fate and he made a open door for all who would enter to never ever end up where we deserve to end up to have eternal life not death the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord he went to great lengths to ensure that you do not have to suffer what you actually deserve. 
But make no mistake, though that price has been paid and a new door has been opened to eternal life for free through grace for all who believe, make no mistake, what a man deserves from God is nothing. All of what we have is mercy. All of what we have is grace. All of what we have is kindness. All of what we have is love. What are we entitled to? Nothing. Thus, everything you do have is now a blessing. You took the bus here? That's blessing for a guy who deserves hell. You rode a bike here? That's a blessing for a guy who deserves hell. I, I drove a Toyota Corolla here, the most average car in America. I can't find mine in the park. There's 400 other ones. Right? They all, I mean, it's like, I can't, I'm like, which, I don't have this fancy car. Though it does help me, because it tells me when I, which I apparently do a lot now that I have the beeper that tells me. That thing beeps all day. But that's a blessing for me. I don't deserve anything. Everything's a blessing. And when you realize that everything is a blessing, starting with our salvation, but then piling on to all of our comforts, then it's not, I'm entitled, let me keep this. It's, I'm blessed, let me share this. Let me share this. If a good God would give me his son, then a good God will surely give me all that I need. And I can be a part of sharing with others in need. We need to go from entitled to blessed. And we need to do that no matter where we're at economically. I met a guy just the other day, homeless guy. We were out doing some ministry in the neighborhood, passing out Bibles and witnessing and stuff on Thursday. And I met a guy who was homeless. And he came up to our tent. We had a little tent out. It was raining. We had a bunch of like, food to give away and stuff. Homeless guy comes up to me. He was very outgoing. Shakes my hand. He says, what you guys going, got, got here? And I said, well, we got some sodas and we got some Cheez-Its and some Bibles. And I said, do you know Jesus? And this is what the homeless guy said. It was really funny. And honestly, I appreciated it. He goes, yeah, I know Jesus. Do you? I was like, I'm glad you, yes, I do. But feel free to ask. I mean, that's awesome. And I said, well, here's some stuff. You know, we talked to him about the church a little bit. And I put my arm around him. I said, let's pray. And so I started to say a prayer, and I said amen, and I thought it was kind of done. He started to pray. So we all, you know, quickly acted like that was like, oh, we expect that, yeah. So everybody bows their head again. Homeless guy prays for five minutes through the gospel. Like, Jesus, thank you for the bloody cross. Thank you for our resurrection. Thank you for our eternal life. And he goes, he, this dude knows the gospel. And at the end of his prayer, he said amen. We got to talking, and I found out this guy, though, he has a, had a really rough hand dealt to him feels blessed. And after we gave him some packets of whatever, Cheez-Its and some Cokes, he goes back to his bike where he's got all these bags. He goes and he had, I don't, and I didn't ask where it came from. I'm not worried about it. But he busts out this rug. I'm like, this is kind of interesting, right? Dude, got a rug. And, and so he busts out this rug and he brings the rug over to the tent. He goes, here, I'm going to put this down so people don't have to stand on the wet grass. And he gives something to us, his rug. That was probably someone else's rug at some point. I don't know. I mean, I'm just like, guy, rug. Typically, they don't need those. I don't know. Here's the idea. Gives us his rug, puts it down. And he's like, you guys have a blessed day. Appreciate what you're doing out here in the neighborhood. Bikes off. This is the truth. Now, not everybody has to give everything. Not everybody can give everything. It's not that we... I mean, not everybody is going to, but here's the thing. Everybody can be generous. Everybody can be generous because everyone who is not suffering what they deserve for sin is blessed. Everyone who is not suffering what they actually deserve to suffer for their sin is blessed. They can be thus a blessing and a generous person. How we give, we see it's not ours and we don't deserve any of it. We're not entitled, we're blessed. And we find that we become generous people. Let's look at this last. What do we give? What are we require? What, what should we be giving? Right? So, like, why do we give? How do we become generous? Why do we be generous? How do we become generous? What do we be generous with? What do we give? 
First of all, I'd like to say you can do this with anything. Anything. I remember when I was little, me and my sister were five years apart. I got two sisters. My, my, the one directly under me, five years apart, right? So I was five when she was born. So her and I were out of car seats at the same time. Jenny, 10 years younger than me, was in a car seat during this episode. So she didn't really have a say. She had to be in a car seat. But I remember my sister Rachel and I, we used to fight. And I don't mean like bicker. I mean like WWE fight. Like throwing elbows, call the cops, code orange, right? domestic, whatever. Like fight over the front seat. Like, we knew we were going to the grocery store with mom. We'd be headed towards that door, like, whoever's going to get there first, calling shotgun, getting out the shotgun. We'd be, it's like, I will have the front seat. I don't know why, because now I don't really care, I guess. Back then, it just seemed like the biggest deal to have the front seat. Generosity goes to even these things. It goes down to even politeness. Like guys giving up their seat when a lady comes in the room. That's not an old school thing. That's not a southern thing. That's a Christian thing. You're generous with what you got, even if it's just your seat. You can do this with anything. You can do this with the remote control. That's a hard one. Now, I've learned to do that. Um, got to be careful what I say here. But uh, my wife, she will have the controller. That's true. You could tell her I said that because it's just an accurate statement. <laughs> right? Give up the remote control. What do you want to watch? Hallmark Channel. Right? Mostly to make fun of it, but sometimes not. But it's still, I'll watch it. I'll watch it with you. Right? You can be generous with anything. The Bible does speak to a couple things, particularly. Time, talent, and treasure. Time. Matthew 5.41. Write that down. Matthew 5.41. Jesus commands us to be generous with our time. Here's what he says. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, If someone asks you to go to a mile, go with them too. If someone asks you to walk with them a mile, go with them too. Jesus says, be generous. Be generous with your time. This is part of redeeming the time for the days are evil. You give up your time. Your time is not your own. It was given to you. It was given to you when you'd be born. It is given to you when you will die. It is given to you who will be around in between those two times. And it is given to you to give away. As Christians, we give up our time. This is God's time. And by the way, it's not much time. James 4 says, your life is but a vapor. It fears for a little time, then vanishes away. Job 7, 7, remember, life is like wind. Psalm 103, life is like the flower that fades. Psalm 44, I believe, or 144, life is like a shadow. This is going fast, guys. You think it's going fast, it's going 10 times faster than you even think. So we're not asking you to give much when you give up your time. If you gave up all of it, it'd be a vapor. But we do, we give up our time. When someone calls at an inconvenient time, we answer if we can. When someone needs to talk something through, though it has nothing to do with you, they just need a place to vent, you listen on the phone. When someone is texting you and asking for some time, you text them back. You don't ghost them. You don't wait a week. You are generous with your time because Jesus gave you his time. 33 years as a homeless carpenter that died on a cross and was in a tomb for three days of God's time and came back to come you the age of grace and all the time we have until he returns you give your time right so we make it to the wedding we make it to the funeral we make it to the birthday if we can i mean i'm not saying every time like a legalist i'm just saying we give our time to our people to our friends to our family we give our time we give our talents back when they were building the tabernacle in the old testament exodus 35 Moses said, let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. We give our talent to the Lord for the building of his tabernacle. Now the tabernacle days are over. We're under a new covenant, thank God. But the principle is the same. To build his kingdom, we need to use our talents. Man, have we benefited at this church from the talents of people who were generous with them. We have talented people who give of their talents to the church Praise God. Talented people set up this sound system. Not me. 
I, don't, I did not set up the sound system. How do you know? It works. It works. Talented people do our accounting. Take down the numbers of the offering. Talented people. We have teachers who teach for a living, teaching in kids' ministry. We have talented contractors right now building uh, new bathrooms and facilities for our church. We've had talented graphic designers do our social media, our logo, our different printing needs. We've had a lot of talent given. Thank you. This is part of what we get. That's called ministry. You say, I thought you were in the ministry. I'm actually the guy who equips people for ministry. That's Ephesians 4, that he gave some pastors and teachers for the building up of the saints and equipping them for the ministry. The ministry is you using your talent. I'm here to facilitate it, help guide it, but we need to be generous with our talents, whether that's babysitting for a mom because you're talented with kids, whether that's the talent of uh, just giving people rides to and from the doctor, Right, because you know you can get them there and back on time. Whatever it might be, we give of our talents, and finally, we do. We give of our treasure. Back to the passage I had you turn to earlier, Second Corinthians nine six and seven, talks about giving of our treasure. But this I say: He which soweth sparingly will reap sparingly; he who soweth bountifully will reap also bountifully every man according as he purposes in his heart so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity for God loveth a cheerful giver the context of these two verses are the Corinthian church giving to the poor churches in Jerusalem taking up an offering from a church that was in a city that had some money some economy some commerce taking up an offering from the Corinthians to bring to those in Jerusalem this was a church giving another church money. And the Bible does talk about this. We don't talk about this a lot at this church. We do talk about it when the Bible talks about it. And here's the deal. We need to be giving, if we can, money to ministry. Not the widows. They don't, we're not saying the widows should be giving. The orphans, we're not calling on you to give. The, those who are handicapped, those who are incredible. If you're here and you're, poor, you're very poor, you can't keep on your lights, don't worry about our lights. We're worried about your lights. We're, you're the one we give to. If you can't keep on your lights, don't worry about it. Here's what I'm saying, though. Many of us are not in that boat. Not all of us, I understand. But many of us are in the boat where we should be giving ministry money out. We should have this in the budget. We should have this as part of our life. It is good for our soul. It is good for our soul. Whether it's a small gift that we can give Big gift that we can give, whatever, whatever we've been given, cheerfully give to the ministry so that people hear the gospel and the kingdom expands. Now, this takes sacrifice. I want you to understand, when Paul is asking the Corinthians to give to the poor in Jerusalem, there's a reason he has to remind them and to ask them and to direct that. It's because they're not naturally going to do that because it is very difficult to do such a thing. Right, so here's what I want you to know. Okay, when it comes to giving, financially especially, it's very difficult because when you give that money to a ministry, whether it's us at the church or some evangelist, missionary, you know, whatever, okay, there is something you are not going to get. So make no mistake, when we ask you to give, we are saying, yeah, you're going to have to sacrifice a latte. You're going to have to sacrifice a movie ticket. You're going to have to sacrifice... A dinner out with the fam? I don't know. But that's true. Uh, we're not going to sugarcoat it. It's hard. You give up something for the kingdom, but it is commanded. If we're able to do it, to it's just in the Bible. That we are to be cheerful givers financially. At our church, we've been blessed with cheerful givers. I appreciate every person who gives. I don't know who gives. I don't know who gives what, but I know people give because the lights are on and we're here. Thank you for all who give. We don't know everything about, I mean, it's hard to know if we pass, pass the plate, things go into the plate. It's not like we know who gives what, or, but we know some things from our accounting firm. We know about 32 people give to the church regularly. 11 uh, people give online. And I think it's great. But I also think that though I don't care how much 
we give. Right? I'm not saying here's how much we need to give, to give this amount. I do think we need as many givers as God has given us. To me, it's more important. More important than the number that we give is the number of givers. So if the, the number's low, but the number of givers is high, that's a healthy church. That's a strong church. And that's what God wants. So our goal is not, hey, let's raise a bunch of money. Let's just raise money till we can't raise it anymore. Our goal is to raise up givers. The goal is not, the goal is not giving everything. The goal is everybody giving something. And I do think we have room to grow in that. And you need to ask yourself, are you in a place where you are called by Jesus to give to ministry? We need to be a generous people with our time, with our talent, with our treasure. I think we are doing well on this gauge. By God's grace, I praise God. Through the power of the Spirit, we have been given some generosity. We have a generous church. I think it's great that our church, as small as it is, can support the ministries we support, the missionaries we support. We have, we have seen people get their, their water turned back, to, back on. We have seen people fill their house. We've filled some people's houses with groceries. We have helped people whose houses burned down. We have been a generous church, but let's not take any credit. Glory to God, amen? All glory to God. And let's continue in this gauge to make it on full, a generous church. We should be seeking to be generous. We want to be a people of generosity who freely give our time, our talents, and our treasures to Jesus in response to what Jesus has given us. Jesus paid it all, all to him we owe. We're going to pray that we'll be a generous people. Then we're going to sing a few songs to our God. Jesus, thank you for your generosity to us. Thank you, Jesus, that you gave it all. If anyone is here and they're not saved, I pray that today be the day they call on the name of the Lord and be saved, that they believe he rose again after paying for their sin debt on the cross. I pray that we would be generous with our time, generous with our talent, generous with our treasures individually, and I pray that we'd be a generous church corporately. In your name we pray. Amen.